Tonight we are going to be reading out of the book of Romans. So find that there in your Bible. We welcome you to Bible study tonight. And we're going to be studying the 14th chapter of the book of Romans. We're going to look at these paragraphs in the book of, in this 14th chapter of Romans tonight. We're continuing our study on practical theology. We've spent the summer studying these chapters of Romans where Paul deals with the practical Christian life. And tonight we're going to delve into a piece of scripture which is uh, off, uh, awfully substantive. It's like steak uh, for the spiritual heart and mind. So I hope you brought your fork and knife tonight. Uh, but we're going to deal with some of the very deep things of the Christian life in its uh, relationship to how we live with one another and how we live in the present world. And we're going to read beginning at verse 14, pardon, verse uh, 1 of chapter 14. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced of his own mind. And he who observes the day observes it for the Lord, And he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us judge one another. Let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in your brother's way. I know and I am convinced in the Lord that nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him whom Christ died for. Therefore do not let what is for a good thing be spoken of as evil. And peace and joy, pardon, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ, is acceptable to God and approved by men. 
So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he eats. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. Can you say amen? This is the word of the Lord. I know that's a whole lot of verses and a whole lot of content, uh, but I know it's going to be uh, food for our spirit tonight. Father God, we thank you today for the opportunity you've given us to be in this house of prayer. And we pray that you would come and speak to us by the power of your word. I ask that you would anoint my lips of clay to teach and preach the word of the living God. And I ask that you would anoint this congregation that together as we eat this meat of the word, that you would speak to each one of our lives individually. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Amen. All, all right. Keep your Bible open. And we're going to look, if you would, just look right quickly at verse 1 of chapter 14. And we notice there that God says, Now accept the one who is weak in faith. And then if you go to verse 1 of chapter 15, we read, Now we who are strong. So we notice right from the beginning that in the Christian life, in the church of Jesus Christ, there are two types of people. There are those who are weak in faith. We talked about them to some degree in an earlier study on the conscience. And then there are those who are strong or those who are mature. And so he says in verse in chapter 15, verse 1, that the strong ought to bear the weakness of the other. So tonight, with that in mind, I want us to look at this chapter of Scripture because in it the Apostle Paul deals with a specific issue taking place in the Roman church from which we can learn. But then he also lays out some very profound statements regarding our, our relationship to weak believers and the relationship of the strong in faith to those who are weak in faith. And so it's uh, important for us to uh, study this portion of Scripture because it helps us to understand how we are to live as Christians uh, with one another and in the present world. Vamos a estudiar este capítulo de la Escritura que es una porción de mucha carne uh, y queremos uh, tomar el tiempo esta noche para querer entender lo que Pablo dice en el verso 1 del capítulo 14 él habla de aquel que es débil en su fe y luego en el verso 1 del 15 él habla de aquel que es fuerte en la fe. Entonces entendemos que hay una relación entre el fuerte y el débil en la fe y debemos entender esto. Anytime you have weak believers or weak uh, that we, we would call immature believers or believers who are just starting out in their faith and strong believers, you're going to have a disagreement on whether or not certain things are permissible or whether certain things are uh, allowable in the Christian life. Cuando 
tiene una diferencia en madurez. Va a haber una, un conflicto entre lo que es permisible y lo que no es permisible. And, uh, and that is because, of course, as I mentioned to you before, a baby eats baby food. Uh, adults generally don't, right? Say amen, somebody. Because there's a difference of uh, our digestive system and we have come to be able to tolerate uh, stronger meat, stronger food. And so we, we have to understand as we walk through the Christian life that sometimes you might be interacting with someone that's still eating baby food, that's still uh, in a state of spiritual immaturity. And how uh, should we respond to the certain things that come up in life? The Apostle Paul admonishes us with a, a very clear teaching that we uh, who are stronger in faith are supposed to be tolerant and supposed to help those who are walking in this immaturity in their faith. That's part of the study tonight. Another part of the study tonight is dealing with a specific issue that's happening in the Roman church. And so I have to give you a little historical background so that you can follow me uh, clearly tonight. In the Roman church, you had two types of people, not just the weak and the strong. That's in every church. But you also had Jews and Gentiles. En la iglesia romana, tenían, uh, o la iglesia de Roma, tenían dos clases de personas, no solamente el débil y el fuerte, eso es cierto en cada iglesia, pero había gentiles y judíos. And of course, if you know history, you know your Bible, you know there's a big difference between Gentiles and Jews. Hay una gran diferencia entre los judíos y los gentiles. If you could bring the volume down up here on my monitor, please. Just a tad. Hay una diferencia entre los judíos y los gentiles y en este capítulo la diferencia se marca mayormente en el asunto de la comida. The, the difference between the Jews and the Gentiles in this case is primarily recognized between their diet. And so let's say that you are a Jew and you as a Jew are not allowed to eat certain things. In order to be a good Jew, you don't eat non-kosher food. And that means you don't eat shellfish, you don't eat shrimp, you don't eat catfish. Uh, you, I can see there's some problems already for some of you. You don't eat pizza. Uh, you don't eat a cheeseburger. You can eat a burger or cheese, but you can't eat them together. Okay? Because Jews were not allowed to eat uh, two byproducts from the same animal in the same meal. Is the church still here tonight? I don't think, I don't need you thinking about dinner just yet. Or I'm just mentioning a little bit of an example. And so you are uh, not allowed to eat certain things. And then the Gentiles eat anything and everything. They eat menudo, they eat pork feet, they eat uh, everything, right? So uh, there are no problems for them. And they're all in the same church. And it's going to be real hard to have a church picnic when everybody uh, is in these two different camps. Right? And you're saying, pass the cheese. And so you can't put cheese in that. That's a burger. And these conflicts arise... And so Paul says, look, you're going to have these conflicts. And what I want you to do is resolve the conflict, not based on whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, but whether you are strong in the faith. Let your maturity guide how you relate to your Christian brother and to the world around you. 
And so he begins to lay out some very important principles. Tonight, I'm going to put them in the form of questions that I want us to consider as we study these, uh, these principles that Paul lays out for us about the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But first, let me read to you what he writes to the Colossians. If you could come down the volume, please. Colossians 2, 18 through 23. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels, taking his stand on visions as, as he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why as if you were living in the world do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? which all refer to things destined to perish with us, in accordance with this commandment and the teachings of men. These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Now, we'll go back to Romans 14, and you take into mind what Paul says to the Colossians church. He says, don't let anybody defraud you or don't let anyone trick you or talk you out of spiritual maturity. Pablo le escribe a los colosenses y les dice, no dejes que nadie te defraude, que nadie te robe de la madurez cristiana. And he says, primarily what you could be defrauded from is growing into the, the growth which is from God. That is uh, growing into the head, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. La, el, el ser defraudado, dice Pablo, tiene el efecto de que no crezcas en madurez a la cabeza que es Cristo. Now just stay with me tonight as we start to try to understand this. I told you, you need, you're going to need a knife and fork. Paul says, and this is an important question for us to ask, am I being defrauded? Tenemos que preguntarnos si estamos siendo defraudados uh, en nuestra vida cristiana. Or is there a possibility tonight that you might be being tricked either by the devil or by a, a false teaching or a false way of thinking and this ultimately leads to you not maturing into Christ, into the head which is Christ. And so Paul gives us this example and he says there are going to be people in life, that will tell you, hey, I had a vision. I had a dream. And they'll build a doctrine on the vision or a dream. Others will say, oh, I heard a message from an angel. And they'll build a, a doctrine from a message on an angel. And others will, uh, out of their pride, inflated without cause in their fleshly mind, come up with doctrines and say, here's what I think. And they'll put their own thoughts Above the thoughts of God. And all of these are a setup for you as a Christian being defrauded. Or being, uh, being disconnected from the true place of blessing in your life. And I want you to be very careful with this because we are living 
in a culture, in a world, in a church where you can listen to any preacher from anywhere at a moment's notice. You have YouTube, you have Facebook, you have Instagram. There are preachers and teachers everywhere. And some of them have built their doctrine on the message they got from a dream or an angel or even from their own thinking. And many times you'll hear them say, I know the Bible says this, but this is what I think. And you are being set up to be cheated out of the Christian life. So you have to be very careful that you not be led astray by a teacher that is not building their doctrine on the word of God. Pablo nos dice que hay maestros que quieren defraudarnos diciéndonos cosas que ellos oyeron de ángeles o de un sueño o que ellos mismos piensan y esto nos va a defraudar, nos va a dejar fuera de poder entrar a la plenitud de la vida cristiana. Now there's another side to this, uh, and I'll get to it in just a moment, but part of this, these are two extremes, estos dos extremos, uh, one of them is self-made religion, self-abasement, and severe treatment of the body. That's uh, people in Paul's day who would beat themselves with a whip uh, so that they could humble themselves and get their flesh in line. Listen, your flesh... Uh, your physical body is not the problem. The problem is that you have to be transformed in the spirit of your mind. And so when you go, when you see people in, in Paul's day would go around whipping themselves, they're trying to beat their body into submission, but their flesh is raging. And that's ultimately what, uh, what Paul is saying. That's not going to lead you to spiritual growth. Now, on the other hand, uh, these these people would say, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that, don't do this. So they lay out all the religious rules. Don't, 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 don't. And then you have the other extreme. And the other extreme says, you can do whatever you want. There are no barriers, no boundaries, no rules, no restrictions. You are a Christian. You're saved by grace. You're going to heaven when you die. You can live however you want. Are we hearing that message this in this culture? Come on, let's let's be honest tonight. Are we hearing that message in this culture? Yeah, you hear both messages. And both of them are a recipe for you being cheated out of the Christian life. And many people follow one extreme or the other, then they wonder why doesn't Christianity work for me? Because you're not working Christianity. You're working self-made religion. And a religion that says don't, don't, don't is just as bad as one that says do anything you want. There's no limitations. And so the first question that we need to ask ourselves is found here in this first paragraph of chapter 14. And Paul says this. He says that we ought to be convinced in our own mind. In verse 5, he says, one person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. Here's the question for us tonight. Do you know what you believe? Are you fully convinced of what you believe? You see, if you have, if you've bought into a Christian teaching, or I shouldn't say Christian teaching, but if you bought into a teaching, 
Do you know if it's Christian or not? Do you know if it's actually biblical or not? I don't ever want you to walk out of here and say, well, I, I, Pastor Isaac said, that's not the goal. And I haven't taught you that way. What I have taught you is, what does the word say? Not what did Pastor Isaac say, not what did my Christian leaders say, not what did my friends say, not what did I hear on YouTube. What does the word say? Am I fully convinced? Do I know what I know because I heard it or because I searched it in the word? Tenemos que estar primeramente convencidos de lo que creemos. No solamente creyendo porque alguien nos dijo, sino creyendo porque hemos escudriñado la palabra de Dios. Acts 17, verse 11, it says, Now the Bereans were more noble-minded than the Thessalonians. Why? For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scripture every day to see if these teachings were true. Dice Hechos 17, 11, que los de Berea eran más nobles que los de Tesalónica. ¿Por qué? Porque recibían el mensaje con alegría y examinaban las escrituras para saber si estas cosas eran verdad. Is the church still here tonight? You see, God never intended for you to live a Christianity that didn't involve thinking. No one said amen. Well, pastor, we're Pentecostals. We're about feeling. Yes, but I, God never intended for the Christian life to be without thinking. You're to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, and your mind. You don't check your mind, especially on things that could lead to eternal consequences for you and your family. You've got to know what you know because you found it for yourself in the Word. Because you searched the scriptures to see whether these things were so. Now we noted there that they received it with eagerness. That's important. Es necesario recibir la palabra con ánimo, con de, de nuevo, con, con ese valor, uh, darle valor a la palabra. Pero es importante igual escudriñar las escrituras. It's important to search the scriptures. So you know nowadays there's, a, there's an attack on the tithe. And people say, you know what, the tithe is no longer biblical. It's an Old Testament concept. And people who don't study their Bibles, they'll just follow right along with that. Why? Because it's, it's satisfying the flesh. It's telling me what I want to hear. Come on, any doctrine that tells you what you want to hear, you've got to be double sure that you're getting the right thing. So what should you do? Should you... Should you just follow along? No. What should you do? The Christian must be convinced. Say, wait a minute. If that's true, if that's, if that doctrine is true, that the tithe is an Old Testament concept, then I need to go search the scriptures to make sure that that's true. And if it's not true, then I'm going to cancel the preacher, not the doctrine. Come on, somebody. I'm going to cancel the teacher, not the teaching. Come on. Is there anybody in the house of God tonight? You see, if you aren't fully convinced from your own study of Scripture, then you are setting yourself up 
to enter into things that could ultimately defraud you. You don't want to be led in your Christian life by your emotions. You want to be led by an inner conviction. Tiene que haber una convicción interna. The, the word Paul uses here is a word convinced. Everyone say convinced. And when you are not convinced, don't act on it. Si usted no está convencido, no tome el paso. Lo que Dios requiere de nosotros es que seamos personas que escudriñemos la palabra y tomemos los pasos que Él nos da con ese con esa convicción de que hemos oído. You see, we have a crisis of conviction nowadays. Tenemos una crisis de convicción. Why? Because the culture changes its opinion every month, every week, every day. It has a different opinion. Today they're celebrating one celebrity. Tomorrow they'll be crucifying them. And if you let yourself be guided by a culture that has no convictions, sooner or later you'll have no convictions either. So you have to be convinced that you know what you know, even if the culture says something completely different. If the culture changes its mind, so be it. Let the church be the church. Come on, is the church here tonight? Now the tendency is to try to try to accommodate the Bible to fit with weak believers. To try to milk uh, to water down the, the milk of the word, to try to water down the truth of scripture. And and the the danger uh, that is so present in that is that sooner or later there's no more scripture in it. There's no more truth in it. There's no more conviction in it. Now Paul deals with it in this way. He says some people regard one day and not another. Others regard every day alike. What's he talking about? He's saying the Jews regard the Sabbath. They don't work on the Sabbath. They observe the Sabbath day. The Gentiles think every day is the same. And so the Jews say, I worship on the Sabbath. And the Gentiles say, I worship every day, brother. And he says, whether you're a Jew or Gentile, whether you celebrate the Sabbath or not, you better know what you're believing to be true. And not just something that you picked up along the way. And then we get into the next paragraph, beginning at verse 6. He says, he who observes the day observes it for the Lord. He who eats does it for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat. And he gives thanks to God. So here's the second question. The first question was, am I fully convinced? Do I know what I believe? Second question is, am I doing it unto the Lord? Am I doing it unto the Lord? He says, all right, someone celebrates the Sabbath. Others do not. Some eat shrimp. Others do not. He says, here's the important question. Are you doing it unto the Lord? Is the glory of God the aim or the goal of your practice? La segunda pregunta es esta. Si lo estamos haciendo hacia Dios. Si nuestra práctica... Es para la gloria de Dios o para la gloria del hombre. 
And he tells us here, he says, there's a key here, right here in verse 6. He who observes a day observes it for the Lord. He who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. Paul says, here's how you know whether you should eat something or not, drink something or not, do something or not. Are you ready? If you can thank God for it, then you'll know that it's okay to do it. If you can't thank God for it, then you'll know it's not okay to do it. That's real basic, isn't it? Real simple. So next time you're tempted by something, just check it out. Can I thank God for this? Can I have an honest Thanksgiving prayer about this? If if somebody leaves $20 on the table and you walk in and you know it's not yours and you say, can I thank God for this? If I can't, then it's not mine to do. Come on, is that real simple? Is that basic? See, I never never heard of a shoplifter that thanked God. And I doubt any of you ever saw somebody buy a beer and then thank God for it. Or smoke a cigarette and thank God for it. Or have sex outside of marriage and thank God for it. I want to get real basic with you tonight. If you can't thank God for it, God didn't give it to you. I lost my amen corner. Paul says, if, if, the, if someone eats shrimp and they say, God, I thank you for this shrimp. And the Jew over there says, God, I'm not eating today because it's shrimp. Both of them can thank God because they're both doing what they believe God honors. If you can't thank God, then step away. Now, what Paul is saying is that the, the believer has to know I'm doing this unto God. I'm eating this unto God. I'm going down this route unto God. I'm making this decision unto the Lord. God's glory is at stake in what I'm doing. Come on, is the church here tonight. The Bible tells us that we live for Him. Come on, is the church here tonight? If we live, we live for Him. If we die, we die for Him because we are His. Si vivimos, vivimos para Él. Si morimos, morimos para Él. Vivimos o morimos, somos de Él. Entonces, las acciones que tomamos deben de ser para Él. Hacia Él. Para la gloria de él. Now we get to this next question. Look at verse 10. But you, why do you judge your brother? So he says, if you, if you don't have a, a problem with eating shrimp because you're a Gentile and you see your brother who's not going to eat tonight because all there is to eat is shrimp, it's not your job to tell him what to do. Don't judge your brother. He says, because 
you can't judge the servant of someone else. They're not your judge. They're not your servant. They're not working for you. They don't do, they don't, they're not living the Christian life for you. So leave them to God. And the Lord dealt with me on this back a long time ago when I was in college because I got around some friends and all, they were preacher friends and all they could talk about was how bad the church was and how backslidden the church was and how uh, in need of revival the church was. And so it was just all bad on the church. And, you know, after a church service, uh, if someone said, how was church? They'd say, well, it could have been better. You know, this type of really judgmental, a super spiritual I am better than all of you type of Christianity. And the Lord got me alone one day at a, at a prayer meeting. And he said, Isaac, I didn't call you to correct my bride. She's my bride. What happens when you correct another man's wife? How does he take it? Do you have a right to say, hey, I think your wife should do this? Do you have a right to that? No. And the Lord said, this is my bride. Your job is to edify the bride, not to judge her. That delivered me of that real quick. Come on, somebody. He says, I'll do the judging. But now here's the question for me and for you. Verse 10. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we are all to stand before the judgment seat of God. Third question, will this stand the test at the judgment seat? La tercera pregunta es, ¿podrá esto recibir honra delante del juicio del Señor? Now notice what he says, we will all. Now every time Paul deals with the judgment seat of Christ, he uses that word, all. Everyone say all. Every person... Every Christian will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. This is not the judgment that's going to take place at the end that we read about in, in Revelation. But this is the judgment that's going to take place after the rapture of the church. Oh, pastor, I heard somebody say there wasn't going to be no rapture. Study your Bible and don't believe anybody unless you know what the Bible says. But after the rapture of the church, we're going to come before the judgment seat of Christ. And that judgment is not a heaven or hell judgment. If you made it to the judgment seat of Christ, you're already in heaven. This judgment will be a judgment of rewards. The Bible says that he will judge by fire and, and you'll receive a reward. And the, if, there's, if there is uh, going to be a judgment seat for all believers then we need to be thinking about that. And when we look at whether or not our actions can be pleasing to God, we need to ask ourselves, will this stand the test of the judgment seat of Christ? Not only do we ask, can I give thanks for this? But we also ask, will this stand at the judgment seat of Christ? In other words, when I stand before Jesus Christ... At the judgment of the believer, will I be ashamed of what I am doing right now? You see, you can get around a crowd that will tell you anything goes. But that crowd doesn't matter and they're not going to answer for you at the judgment seat. 
The one who's going to answer is you. That's why you need to know what the Bible says. And that's why you need to know what, that you're living for the Lord. And that's why you need to know because you're going to answer to God for that. I'm not going to stand there and say, well, you know, you know, Lord, you know, let him slide. It was, no, there's not going to be none of that. I know their heart, Lord. No, the Lord knows our heart too. He knows it better than we do. The problem I think we're having is that people today don't care anything about God. There's no reverence for God in their heart. They don't even, they don't care about the judgment seat of Christ. But I do care about it. I do care about it because I'm going to stand there and so are you. And when I stand there, I don't want the Lord to say, oh, well, Isaac, how come you didn't preach my word at Kingsway Church? Because I want to answer for every sermon that I ever preached. And I'm going to answer for every answer I ever gave you. And I'm going to answer for every time I stood in this pulpit and said, this is what God says. So you and I had better be real certain that when we stand before him, that when that we knew what we were doing when we did it, and that we know that it was pleasing to the Lord. All of us, everyone, individually, for we will all stand before the judgment, for it is written. As I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So this is basically Paul's point. You don't have time to judge your brother, because you need to be judging yourself. Pablo está haciendo este punto. Tú no tienes tiempo para juzgar a tu hermano, porque el que debe de juzgar eres tú. Juzgate a ti mismo. Judge yourself. Judge your attitude. Come on, judge your attitude tonight. Judge your heart tonight. Judge your thoughts. Judge your plans. Judge your emotions. Judge your feelings. Put it all in the judgment before God tonight. Because this is what he says to the Corinthians. He says, if you will judge yourself, you won't be judged. You see, if you and the Holy Ghost, if I and the Holy Ghost will go and have our own private chat... And every day, let the Holy Spirit judge us and correct us and convict us and mold us and shape us. When we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we won't have anything to be ashamed of because we will have walked in the fear of the Lord. Come on, is there a church here tonight? Will this stand the judgment? We have no right to judge our brother. For we all have our own works, our own lives that we need to be, that are going to be tested. And here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 and 10 and in 1 Corinthians 3 regarding the judgment seat of Christ. He says, on that day, our works will be like wood, hay, and straw, and gold, silver, and precious stones. Our life right now is going to be judged. And some of the things we're doing will be like wood, hay, and straw. What happens to wood, hay, and straw when you put it in the fire? Everyone say poof. God's going to look at our motives for why we do what we do. And if it wasn't for him, it's going to be And some will be gold, silver, and precious stone. That means some of the things you're doing right now, God considers them real precious and they're going to receive a reward 
And those rewards are going to be crowns. And those crowns are going to be the only thing we have to give to Jesus when we're in heaven. Somebody said, well, I don't care if I get an old rusty hanger for a crown. I just want to get to heaven. You're going to, you're going to want a crown when you get in front of Jesus and you see that the only thing you have to give him was the life you live for him now. Now is the seed of next. And so you're sowing today to reap tomorrow. So make sure you sow well. They say, Pastor, I feel like you're talking too direct this evening. This is Bible study. We're talking about meat. And he says, some will, will be will get no reward, but they'll be saved as by fire. That means they're not going to have a reward. They didn't do anything for God. Just think about that. What a shame to have lived your Christian life and do nothing for God that was honoring or pleasing to Him. And that doesn't mean you didn't do anything. It could be that someone lives their whole Christian life and they do a lot of Christian good works, but they're all for show. All for achieve, for, account, for accolades and, and for someone to say, oh, look, look at that person. Look at this man. Look at this woman. And all of that's going to burn up in, in the judgment seat of Christ. I want to do something that's going to stand up on that day. That's going to demonstrate the motive of a pure heart. Next question, verse 13. Are you still with me tonight? Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore. Say, anymore. See, here's the thing. God is so good, isn't he? If you've been judging, God says, all right, stop today. Don't do it anymore. Many times, Jesus healed someone and he said, go and sin no more. God is so good that if you mess up, he'll say, all right, we'll start over today. Come on, somebody ought to get excited about that. That's what it means to be a Christian, is that one day you brought your life to Jesus that was broken and marred and sinful and wretched. And he said, all right, it's over. It's under the blood. We're going to start new today. Come on, somebody give God thanks that Jesus gave you a fresh start. And so you say, well, I didn't know. All right, it's in the past now. Don't do it anymore. You see, the Christian life isn't about being under condemnation about what you did yesterday that was wrong. Today, if you'll repent of it, God will give you a clean slate and say, all right, don't do it anymore. Are there any Christians in here? Say it again, anymore. That's that's the, the gospel. That's the blood of Jesus. That's why we sing about the blood. That's why we preach the blood. Because it's only the blood that can wash away sin and tell you sin no more. He says, all right, don't, if you've been judging your brother, don't do it anymore. But rather, do this instead. Determine not to put an obstacle or stumbling block in your brother's way. Look at how this turns around. He says, instead of judging your brother, help your brother. He says, ya no peques. Ya no estés juzgando a tu hermano. 
Pero determina esto Que de hoy en adelante No vas a poner obstáculo Delante de tu hermano para que tropiece This is, this is one of the great sins And I'll just I'm speaking as the leader Of a, of a Pentecostal denomination So I'll just confess tonight One of the great sins of Pentecostals is that we have set a stumbling block before people through judgment. Now, we all need to repent of that. Whether you were the judge or the victim. Come on, is there a church in here tonight? If we don't address sin, we can't heal it. And this is one of the great sins And, and instead of helping people get out of sin, we've left them in sin because they didn't look the part. Or because they didn't, they didn't have the maturity to be able to walk on the level that we, uh, the, or that somebody in the past thought that they needed to be walking on. And Paul says, look, this is real Christianity. Not that you know how to identify which one's mature and which one's not, and which one's a good Christian and which one's not. None of that matters. What matters is whether or not you get down low and help somebody up out of the mire and help them to live the Christian life. That's what matters. Whether you build people up. If you weigh them down, if you, if you help them to stumble, Jesus said it'd be better for you on the day of judgment to have put a, a millstone around your neck and thrown yourself into the sea than to help, than to help a baby stumble. Now, I'm not going to get any amens now. Is that in the Bible? Did Jesus say that? Who did he say it to? He said it to the teacher. That's why I know. Because the type of Christianity that stands up on the ledge and says, you're not good enough, you're never going to make it, you're not righteous enough, God is, is spewing that out of his mouth. He's looking for a Christian that will say, come here, let me help you, let me teach you, let me disciple you, let me pray for you, let me encourage you. Come on, somebody. That's what Jesus is, and that's what you and I must be. So here's the question. Am I causing others to stumble? Is my so-called Christian liberty causing somebody else to stumble? Causing somebody else to sin? We should judge ourselves and make sure that we're not using our Christian maturity as a tool that's making somebody else stumble in the Christian life. Look at Mark 9.42. Ask yourself this question. There it is. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe to stumble, it would be better for him if with a heavy millstone hung around his neck, he had been cast into the sea. You don't want to face God on judgment day if you make people stumble and I, I'm not referring to perhaps something you didn't know but I'm talking about in, if you are 
if you are with your actions knowingly setting your foot out. God says, I'm going to, I'm going to call you to account for that. And so all of these teachers who quickly go online to teach their doctrines that are causing people to stumble, they're going to have to come to account for that. Say amen, somebody. And that's why you can't be too quick to listen to just anybody. Because we've heard two strong words tonight. Defraud and stumble. And so when I stand in this pulpit, I've got to know I'm two things. I'm not a fraud and I'm not a stumbling block. Come on, somebody. This is the practical Christian life. So if you, if you walk into a restaurant, let's just be real honest tonight. Anyway, it's on Facebook. You can go back and watch it again make sure I actually said this. If you walk into a restaurant and you see Pastor Isaac drinking alcohol, how likely is that to help somebody who has a problem with alcohol to stumble? That's why you'll never see it. I say you'll never see it. You'll never see it in my home. You'll never see it on my lips, not even in a communion cup. Because I am not a stumbling block. And you're not a stumbling block. God has called you to be a stepping stone, to be a cornerstone, to be a building block. Come on, somebody. Don't let anybody talk you out of your conviction. Because, well, pastor, you know the Bible doesn't say in the Bible this and the Bible that. Stop singing that song to me until you have gone into the word of God and with prayer said, all right, Holy Spirit, is this? Is this honoring you? Because this is not a game. This is not a game. Maybe it's a game for you because it's not, it's not your stumbling block. It's not your weakness. It's not your past. But here's the shame that I think that, that we have on this particular issue with drinking and, and drugs and whether or not uh, some Christians can do CBD because they're, or, or pot because their, their state allows it. Listen, there's the problem with it. You have people that came out of that. They broke the chains of sickness and addiction and drugs and alcohol and they come in to find the church saying, hey, these chains are great, aren't they? No, they're not. They're bound in hell and Jesus came to set the captive free. Come on, somebody. He didn't come to bind you. He came to loose you. Now rebuke every Christian who wants to dance in their chains. Jesus Christ has set you free from the power of sin and the flesh and the devil. It's time to get up and be a mature Christian in the house of God. Hey, Pastor, I should have come last Sunday. Last Wednesday. Maybe you should have, but you were here tonight. Listen, if we don't draw a straight line, you think the world's going to draw it? You think the professors in your college are going to draw a straight line for you? You think the banker's going to draw a straight line for you? Wall Street's going to draw a straight line? Come on, you think the Democrats and the Republicans are going to draw a straight line? They don't know how to draw a straight line. There's only one place to find a straight line. It better be the house of God. It better be a Bible-preaching church.
Broad is the way that leads to destruction and many there be that find it. But narrow is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life. Ever parked your car too close? Somebody else, you got to get out like this. I'd rather see you living like that. And keeping your soul and saving your family than watching you wander and stray all over the place and lose your soul and lose your children. Come on, somebody. We've got to be a church that knows what we believe. Are you causing someone to stumble? If I come and tell you, don't pay your tithe. It's no longer a a biblical doctrine because I said so. I would be causing you to stumble. If I come and tell you it's okay to do this or that drug because it's legal, I'll be causing you to stumble. Say it's okay to dress this or that way. I'd be causing you to stumble. So oftentimes it'd be better for you if someone asks you, you think it's okay if you don't know or if you know but you don't want to say, it's just better for you to say, I don't know. Than to say, well, I... I think that would be all right. You see, because here's the thing. I know that I am not tempted by alcohol. But one one little word of encouragement to someone who's been bound by alcohol could lead them right back into bondage. They can't get that from me. Come on, is there a church in here tonight? I told you to bring your knife and fork. All right, verse 22. I'll move on. I can tell you're getting nervous. Well, let me, let me back up here. If, verse 15, for if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with food him whom Christ died for. See, if if I can eat shrimp and my Jewish brother can't, and I, by eating shrimp and making him stumble, I'm I'm not walking in love. And the great requirement is love. Oh, this guy, I haven't had shrimp in a long time. Olvídate del shrimp. It's the brother that counts. Come on, is there a church here tonight? It's the brother that counts. Because in verse 2 of chapter 15, he says, Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good and for his edification. In other words, you're not doing this for you. It's their brother that counts. Now, this is, this is applicable in a lot of ways. I'll give you an example. If, if for instance, something has happened in, in your life that I know about, maybe I'm the only one that knows about it because I'm your pastor, and 
and then that issue comes up in the sermon, it might be better for me to skip the issue and not deal with it today because it might cause you to stumble and walk out thinking, pastor was just throwing rocks in my direction. And generally what I'll do is I'll preach a sermon that's in left field. Has nothing to do with anything that I know about that's controversial for that person. And guess what the Holy Spirit will do? He'll go way out there and get that ball and just lop it right back at you. He'll say, that kind of stung. That kind of convicted me. But pastor didn't do that. That was the Holy Ghost. And all of a sudden now, I'm feeling better about this. Are you with me? You see, we have to trust God a little more and ourselves a little less. Because if you and I try to solve problems, we'll make them bigger. But if you just keep loving people and say, you know what, instead of mentioning it, I'm going to not mention it. We call it biting your tongue. Why should I bite my tongue? Because it's your brother that counts. Well, I just told them the truth, Pastor. I just, they just got what was coming to them. No, it's your brother that counts. I guarantee you, if you let the Holy Spirit work, the day will come when you'll be having a nice, peaceful, pleasant conversation, and they will ask you, what do you think about this? And you'll say, you know what? I think you probably could handle that a little better. And in love and grace, you deal with something when the Holy Spirit gives you the opportunity. Instead of trying to rip off the band-aid and expose that to the world. It's your brother that counts. Say Say that with me. It's my brother that counts. Therefore, do not let what is good for you be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, I want, to, I want you to look at this because Paul uses this term several times. Do not. Verse 15, he says, do not destroy with food him for whom Christ died. And then in verse 16, it says, Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. And then in verse 20, it says, Do not tear down the work of God. You see a pattern. He says three times, Don't destroy If it's good for you, it might not be good for them. Don't let what you think is okay become a stumbling block for someone else. Why? Look at what he says. It's destructive. It's evil. It's tearing down the work of God. You know what the Bible says about Jesus? It says that he would not extinguish a smoldering wick. Now, that's kind of a 
picture we got to think about a little bit. But what you think about a candle. You know when you leave a candle by itself and, and the wick gets smaller and eventually it's just almost just a flicker. And if a three-year-old runs past it, just a little breeze will put the wick out. Right? And this is what the Bible says about Jesus. A smoldering wick he would not extinguish. That means if Jesus is running and he sees a, a, a smoldering wick, that's a Christian, it's an immature, an infant, a brand new Christian, maybe a hurting Christian, maybe a wounded Christian, and that light is just barely flickering, and, and any little thing will put it out. Jesus might be running, but he'll stop. And he'll cautiously work with that because he knows as long as there's a little light, if you give it time and you give it help and you build it up, that little light can turn back into a raging torch. Come on, somebody. That's your son. That's your daughter. That's your grandchild. You might say, no, there's nothing there, Pastor. I've checked. I've checked. There's nothing there. But there is in that spirit a little flicker. And if you will just feed that flame of faith without, if you'll do it with love and, and with grace, you can see it become a torch that ought to be our prayer tonight. Lord, let me have the character of Jesus who would not extinguish a, a smoldering wick. When someone comes to you and says, oh, I have this, this vision, I have a dream, I have a plan for God. Ah, that'll never happen. No, your job is to say, yes, I believe. Let's trust God. Let me pray for you. Let me encourage you. He says, the kingdom of heaven is not eating and drinking. This is not the perspective we need to have. The kingdom of God is more important than eating and drinking. It's more important than shrimp or Sabbath days. Or whether or not you can do a certain thing and still go to heaven. And by the way, when did that become our standard? Let me just do, let me just get as close to the line and still go to heaven. That's not the standard. The kingdom of God is more important than all of that. And listen to what he says. He says, it's not eating and drinking. It's not natural, it's not the physical, it's not the, the day-to-day, the push and the pull and, and all of those things. The kingdom of God is righteousness. That means the kingdom of God is rooted in a person knowing that their sins have been forgiven and that the blood of Jesus has made them righteous before Almighty God. Come on, somebody. That's the root of the kingdom of God that you know that you're saved. That you know that you've been made righteous because of the shed blood of Jesus. 
We are saved not of any good that we have done. Not of works of righteousness, but because of our faith in Jesus. The kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. If I wasn't the pastor of Kingsway Church, I would be a member of Kingsway Church. Because I have seen, and trust me, I have seen a lot of churches. I have seen this church love people and show grace to people. And I have seen the heart of God in this church. And I don't mean in this building. I mean in you. Well, pastor, no, there's some exceptions to that. Yeah, there's exceptions to everything. Well, pastor, you have some hypocrites there too. We're all hypocrites about something. But I've been in churches where there's no love, where there's no peace, where there's no righteousness, where there's no forgiveness, there's no grace, and there's no people. And when I come into this house, I see the glowing light of the love of God. No, we're not perfect. No, we're not everything that everybody wants. But we are a place where God has said, I'm going to establish my kingdom in this house. Come on, church. You are. You are that emissary, that ambassador of God's grace. And God forbid that anybody should ever walk into the house of God because their hair doesn't look like ours or because they have, uh, they have a, a, a dress code that's different than ours that they not experience the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God transcends everything. Come on, it transcends language. It transcends culture. It transcends diet. The kingdom of God transcends the past. It's the glory of God in a place when God is present in the heart of the people. And what better people than those who were on the outside and now on the inside who once were the ones that were judged and criticized and ostracized and pushed aside and now can come in and when the arms open and say come here we love you already you I don't know you I don't know your name this is the first time I met you but I love you because Jesus loves you the kingdom of heaven transcends I'm out of time so let's stand together I won't tell you I'll preach the rest of this next week because you won't come back. Listen. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by man. When you value the kingdom agenda above tradition or trigger points or traumas, God says, this is acceptable to me and to people.
And tonight, I want us just to embrace what we've heard tonight. And let's just judge ourselves. If there's any area where the Holy Spirit has brought conviction, just judge yourself and do it no more. And tonight, start walking with boldness because our world needs a church that loves them. A church on fire for Jesus. A church that is passionate for the lost. A church that says, I would rather see you succeed than make a point. I would rather see you get into heaven than make the point I want to make. Because my brother is more important than my opinion. Come on, let's just lift our hands to heaven. Invite the Holy Spirit to strengthen your Christian life, to strengthen your Christian walk. Father God, we acknowledge tonight that you are the one we live for and you are the one we die for. Whether we live or die, we live for you and we want to live for you. We want to love for you. We want to live in holiness for you. We want to testify for you. We want to spend our time for you. We want to spend our money for you. We want to use our talents for you. We want to see our brother that's stumbling and help him up. Father, I pray for grace to come upon your people. That they might become bright, bold, torches of life in our community, in our world. Not because... They're trying to be like the world, but because they have been brought out of the world and been brought into the newness of life.